Well, we trying to get all this stuff on here. <laughs> we are going to be looking in Jeremiah chapter four and reading the first 18 verses here. Jeremiah chapter four, verses one through 18. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me, and if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, blow ye the trumpet in the land, cry, gather together and say, assemble yourselves and let us go in to the defense cities. <clears throat> Set up the standard toward Zion, retire, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy city shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. For this, gird you with sackcloth, lament and howl, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. And it shall come to pass at that day, saith the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish, and the heart of the princes, and the priests shall be astonished, and the prophets shall wonder. Then said I, Ah, oh, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches unto the soul. At that time shall it be said to this people and to Jerusalem, A dry wind of the high places in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan nor to cleanse. Even a full wind from those places shall come unto me. Now also will I give sentence against them. Behold, it shall come up as clouds, and his chariots shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? For a voice declareth from Dan and publisheth affliction from Mount Ephraim. Make ye mention to the nations, behold, publish against Jerusalem that watchers come from a far country and give out their voice against the cities of Judah. As keepers of a field are they against her round about because she hath been rebellious against me, saith the Lord. Thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. This is thy wickedness because it is bitter, because it reacheth unto thine heart. And we are going to be looking back at the third verse. For thus saith the Lord, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank thee, O God, that it helps us just as our sister testified. Oh, Lord, we thank you. It's a lamp to our feet and it gives us, Lord, stability. It gives us direction. It gives us hope. And we pray that this morning you will just bless through thy word to every single one of us in Jesus name. Amen. In light of these revival meetings coming up, <clears throat> I often feel that what takes place at revival meetings is far less than what could happen. 
And what I mean by that is, oftentimes we have a meeting and it's good and we should come and we feel refreshed. And if you say, how did the meetings go? Oftentimes there's something like, uh, well, we did, it went well, the Lord helped us. I don't know what that means all the time, uh, but that is what's often said. And I just wanted to help us to prepare our own hearts for these meetings so that when they are upon us, they will be of the utmost help to us, and not only just to us as individuals, but to the entire local church as a whole. Because we may think that, okay, I don't know as if there's anything that's in my life that I need this, that, or the other right now, but there are others that do need. And so whatever way we may find ourselves, I hope this message this morning to be something to prepare our hearts so that we can reap the full benefits of these revival meetings coming up. So the setting of this text is that Israel and Judah have been divided now for 322 years. The track record of good kings is very low. Jehu was the only king out of 19 in Israel that was somewhat painted in a good light and only somewhat. Unfortunately, his heart was not all for God. Judah had 20 kings, eight of which were good. Morality was low. It was lower than it was in the high times of the divided kingdoms. Without strong moral leaders, the people easily slipped into idolatry as they were mingled with the heathens and nations surrounding them. And you can find that in the entire book of Judges. Without strong leaders, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Josiah was the eighth and last good king of Judah. It was during his reign that Hilkiah, the priest who was father to Jeremiah, found the book of the law in the temple. Hilkiah immediately brought it to Shaphan, the scribe, who read it before King Josiah. Upon hearing the book of the law, Josiah rent his clothes or tore them and then sent a group of men to go inquire or ask the Lord for all the people concerning the wrath of God against them for not obeying all the words of the law. The group of men inquired through the prophetess Huldah, which told them that God would bring evil and destruction upon Jerusalem and the inhabitants of it, but would show mercy to Josiah because of his tender heart to the Lord. Even though God said he would destroy Jerusalem and the inhabitants of it, Josiah proceeded to read the book of the law to all of the people. <clears throat> Josiah bound himself in truth by a covenant with God to follow him all of his days. Josiah then proceeded to lead all of the people to do the same thing. And it appears that though they said the words of the covenant, the, the people that he was leading out, they said things with their mouth, but their hearts were far from God. It doesn't appear that their hearts were in it like his were. And really God already pronounced that from the beginning. Josiah, mercy will be on you, but not so good for everyone else because God knew their hearts. In Jeremiah chapter three, God speaks of Israel and Judah as adulterers. They are playing the harlot by worshiping idols they made with their hands and the gods of the heathens. God wrote a bill of divorcement to Israel because of their gross unfaithfulness to him. Though Judah saw how God dealt with Israel, they still went on in their wickedness, ignoring the instruction they could have received from God as they watched him divorce Israel. They could have seen that and said, whoa, wait a second, we need to make a change here. If that's how God feels about this and we're not too far off, we better do something now while we still have hope before the judgments of God come toward us. So it's with this understanding that we hear the Lord speak to Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. 
So when we hear something in scripture, or we hear this statement, thus saith the Lord, sometimes we can get so used to it that we read it and it's thus saith the Lord and on we go and move. But in those times, when somebody stood up, a prophet, and said, thus saith the Lord, things got serious real quick. Oh my, God's talking, right? We should have that same kind of an attitude when we read those things in the scripture. Thus saith the Lord. Okay, what does he say? What is he saying right now? God is the all-seeing eye. He's the all-knowing mind. His word is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And there's nothing hid from his eyes. We're all naked before him with whom we have to do. And it appears to be at this time that there is no fear even with that knowledge that God's peering down inside of the hearts of people and knows what's going on, even though sometimes people said, well, he's not looking because no judgment came like this. They were emboldened to do that which they knew they shouldn't. And knowing that the all-seeing God <clears throat> sees all things, you couldn't hide it anywhere. There was no fear in the people of Israel or Judah. The false prophets were crying, peace, peace, when there was no peace at all. Much today you hear the same thing. And I'm not just trying to say this as, as a matter to try and uh, point fingers or be critical, but it's, creep, it's creeping even into a, a holiness churches where there's an often so much unconcern uh, about our own spiritual state, about the spiritual state of the church. And the church is, somewhat, is something that Jesus gave himself for to sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of water, by the word, through the washing of water by the word. It was Jesus giving of his own self for his bride to perfect and purify and make it a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And so if we're not walking along in that way with Christ as individuals or as a body of believers, we're walking at variance to the very thing that he shed his blood for. And Lord, help us to not get so unconcerned about those things that, it, that we just kind of continue to go off, you know, Sunday by Sunday, year by year, and just thinking everything is okay when perhaps God's just trying to talk with us. And I want you to understand in speaking this way, I'm in no way saying that we're trying to here dig something up that's not there. All I'm saying is our heart's attitude should be wide open. God, look inside. If there is anything, if there's anything that you want to talk with me about, I want to make the adjustment. If there's any place where I've failed or I've done something against thee, I want to make it right. Whatever it may be, O oh Lord, I'm yours and I'm open. These hardened, backslidden people heaped to themselves teachers that would tell them what they wanted to hear instead of the true prophets of God proclaiming God's word. And oftentimes that is the deceitfulness of the human heart. When we're stepping back of the light of God, it's very easy at that point to fasten ourselves to somebody who's going to speak smooth and nice words to us because it doesn't alarm us. When maybe say six months ago, there was something that really did bother us and we have just succeeded in somewhat pushing that behind and burying it and moving it out of the way. And so you can see that the heart can get hard the more we persist in that way. And these people, their heart was so hardened, they backslid and they did unthinkable things. And that's how it starts. I've seen it with people before. They start to cool off in some area of life. It's usually one thing that the Lord's talking with them about and they don't deal with that one thing. They don't do that one thing. And it wasn't really that big of a deal. When you really look at the whole scope, it's not that big of a deal. But God was speaking 
and they just backed off and didn't listen. And before long, they think that's not even the voice of God anymore. And then they start just brushing off many other things that they felt very strongly about before, push it around before long. They are shorn of the strength of God and they didn't even know when it happened. And it's terrible to see it that way. But that's why it's of utmost importance for you and I not to be so hard about things. We don't want to be unnecessarily introspective, but at the same time, we want to be open to the Spirit of God and take steps in the light that he casts on our pathway. So they thought that God would not see their evil, neither would God punish them. But didn't God create the eyes and the ears that see and that hear? So surely he can hear. Nothing's hid from him. So here's the question. Do we want the truth that God says in his word or do we want to agree only with what is agreeable to our liking? That is a question that every one of us as an individual has to come up to. Lord, do I want what the revealed objective truth of God is or do I only want to receive that which makes me feel good? I want the whole of it. I want that which makes me feel good because I need a little bit of encouragement as well as you. <laughs> I thank the Lord for those times of encouragement, whether it comes directly from him or from his word or it comes from a brother or from a sister. I need that and so do you. But I also need those times where the Lord says, hold on a second. This isn't quite where I want you to be doing or this isn't quite right or you need to back up here or you need to go and apologize to this person for such and such. I don't know, whatever it may be, I need that too. And I said that to my daughter, <clears throat> I think it was last week sometime, some conversation came up and I said, you know, the devil wants us to be afraid of God when he's chastising us or when he's pointing out something in our lives. But the Bible tells us to look at it differently, to look at it as a loving hand, that God loves me so much that he's not willing to let me step outside of his will and go on my own merry way. But instead he comes and intervenes even if it needs to be a little bit of a spank, if you will, he comes and intervenes and says, that's not good. I'd rather have a little spank than to wake up on the other side of this world with woes are coming out of my mouth. I'd rather have a spanking. I'm sure every one of us could say, yes, I'd like that too. <laughs> so do we want the truth that God says in his word or do we want to agree only with what is agreeable to our liking? Do we think that God's peace is upon us if we are disobedient? I've seen that so many times and it's, I've seen it close to me, I'll say. I've seen it close to me where people persist in doing things that are directly contrary to this book and still act as if they had a wonderful time with the Lord this morning. And that had been a source of confusion to me for quite a long time. And then I realized what had happened. The Bible says that God gives people up to a reprobate mind because they don't love the truth. So they deceive themselves to believe a lie. And that, that cleared it up for me. It didn't make it any less grieving, but it cleared it up for me because then I understood what was going on. I thought they're talking in a way that it sounds real, but something doesn't seem right at the same time. And it all is so confusing. But we need to know that the peace of God comes with the presence of God, the real literal presence of Christ. And the only way you and I can experience that real literal presence of Jesus is to stay walking in step with the Holy Ghost, is to be obedient to him with what he's dealing with us about. What is that to thee, follow thou me, needs to be our mantra. Never mind what that person's doing over here and this person and this person, but what is Jesus saying to me? 
I've talked with people so many times and they lay out this whole list of problems. And as I've listened to them for a little while, I start to realize there's one thing in here. There's one thing in here. And then I'll say to them, you know, God's dealing with you about this one thing. It's just this one thing. This looks like a whole big problem, but I'm just telling you that if you don't deal with this one thing, you're not going to get anywhere with any of these other things. It's just this. Only take it one step at a time and one moment at a time. Do we heap to ourselves teachers to scratch our ears and tell us what we want to hear? That's what these people were doing. God gave this command in our text to Judah in Jerusalem, but not to me. That may be something we think. So why do I have to listen to a command like this? Obviously, in this immediate context, he was talking to Judah. But is this really for me? Thus saith the Lord is how this started, right? If there's any similarity between your life and what's going on here as we read in the scriptures and the life of the people of Israel and Judah, then God does speak this to you now. We're told that the Old Testament is given to us as instruction in righteousness. It is profitable for doctrine and reproof and instruction in righteousness, right? Fully furnishing us as Christians. And those things are made for our understanding of spiritual things and what Jesus wants to speak. So don't push it off and say, that's for them, not for me. Say, no, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. All those things that are said there, the warnings and the encouragements, it's all mine. It's all mine. And so when God says, thus saith the Lord to you, he's, he's saying it literally to you today. This is for us to hear right now. So think about the covenant God's people made with him after hearing the law read under Josiah. These people, they said all the right words, and yet God still thundered this message through Jeremiah to them. Break up the fallow ground. Jeremiah spoke this message in the same year that Josiah had the book of the law read to all the people. And it's so easy for us to say words with our lips, but it's quite another thing for us to mean it in the depth of our soul. And that's what God's looking at when we pray. That's what God's looking at when we come to an altar of prayer. It doesn't mean that tears need to come, and if they don't come, you're not being real. Oftentimes it feels like that to us, doesn't it? We come and we want to pray, and you sometimes just feel like, I don't know, I wish tears would come out, but they won't. What God is looking, though, into our heart to find is a will, a will that chooses him. Whatever else comes, let that be the center. I'm going to do whatever it is God's telling me to do. I'm going to refrain from doing whatever it is God has told me to refrain from doing. I'm making a choice. And then with that and making the choice, I am then giving myself over to him and allowing him to give me the grace to seal that choice and make it be lived out. Because I cannot do that in and of myself, but I can do nothing else unless I first make the choice. Because God needs the willingness in order to furnish the grace. <clears throat> and so... Let's not be ones that just speak with our lips, but Lord, I just want to mean it in reality. And you know, I feel the Lord has helped me just recently in this. Can't remember where I found this. I was having, you can imagine when you're sick, you can't think very well, right? You can hardly even pray. I'm reading a Bible and I'm thinking, I know I read it. <laughs> I don't really know what happened there, but I know I read it. I started writing my prayer down instead of speaking it because I'd start to speak it and then I don't know where I went, but I was off over there somewhere and I thought, I don't even know what I just said. 
So I started writing it down. It honed everything in all into me writing down. And I slowed down and I was far more thoughtful about my praying, uh, praying than I was had I not written it down. That did something for me. It made me speak less words. It made my words be far more focused <clears throat> so that when I was asking God something, I knew full well what I was asking very directly and what I was to expect in faith from him in my asking. And Jesus says, don't be like the heathens that with vain repetition say these things over and over again. God's hearing you, he's listening, just ask him, right? And so here I say the same. These revival meetings are coming up. What's your heart's cry? Get it focused, get it direct, get it clear so that you can ask God what you will and expect him to do the very thing that you're asking. And if you don't know necessarily yet what that is, then ask God to reveal it to you that you can make it a matter of focused, direct, believing prayer. So as we cannot fool God, he then says, we were talking about thus saith the Lord. This is what he says. Break up your fallow ground. So what does that mean? Think about untilled soil. And you've probably seen that before. I remember when I was younger, I say younger, there was a time when I was younger when that happened. But even when I was older, we were in, in Massachusetts. We had a yard that had more rocks in it than anything else. We rented a backhoe and I dug four feet down and a huge garden that was at least from wall to wall here and I don't know, 15 or 20 foot wide. And I dug four feet down and pulled rocks out that were like this big, you know, and some like this, and all varying different sizes, but there were so many rocks that when I would stick a rototiller in there, I felt like I was a flag tied on the handle, just being whipped around while I was trying to keep the thing straight. So my dad says, next year, we should do something about these rocks. So we got the backhoe, we pulled all the rocks out, we made a pile that was about this high and about eight feet wide in, in uh, diameter. And it was this huge thing of rocks, and lo and behold, there was yet more. <laughs> but nevertheless, we had to till it because you could hardly plant. You'd stick a shovel in somewhere, and it's thunk, you'd go about this far, and there you hit a rock again, right? Sometimes the ground of our heart can become so rocky, right? It can become stiff, it can become arid and dry, and it forms this crust over top. And so there needs to be a tilling. And we do that every year with a garden. There is a continual tilling every year because the winter and the cold and the freezing has a way of making the ground less workable. But once we stick the plow or the rototiller in and start ripping it up and flipping it upside down, then we find this light, fluffy kind of a soil that makes it easy for seeds to be planted and to thrive and to grow. And so, what does this breaking up mean? Let me ask you this question. What kind of a heart receives the most benefit from God? A hard and a crusty heart, a dull heart, or a heart that is soft, a heart that is pliable? And I think you already know the answer to that question. So let's pull all that together. God, when he says to us, break up the fallow ground, is pleading with us. He's pleading with us to repent of sins of omission, to repent of sins of commission. That means things we didn't do that we should have or things that we did do that we shouldn't have. We need to bring those before the Lord in confession and repentance. And he just wants a frank and honest confession. And he wants us to plow through the hardness of our hearts 
with tears of confession and repentance. Again, we're not making things up. We're just going over it. And I, I may have put this farther on in the message. I almost, I'm almost certain I did, but I'm going to say it now. Charles Finney had said uh, concerning, I even think it was this verse or maybe another one in Hosea. He said, how practically can we do this? Now, this is a man who is widely successful in revivals all throughout this entire nation where, where towns were swept into the gospel kingdom, where it was hard to find people that were sinners in towns. That's how great his reach was. I mean, his reach, he had a man that traveled with him and prayed. It was these people working together under the light of God and with the power of God and God had helped that many were converted. He said this, when you are trying to break up the fallow ground of your heart, <clears throat> notice this, first of all, it says, thus saith the Lord, break up the fallow ground. God's saying to us, you do it. He won't do it, you do it. That's what he's saying. So how do we do it? He said, take a pen and take a piece of paper. Start writing things down on this piece of paper. He said, when you start writing it down, the mind is so constructed that suggestions will start to follow one right after the other. Before you know it, you'll be writing a lot of things down that you have reason to go before God and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm just going to be open with you. I just did this not too long ago. And I did it because I felt like, Lord, I just feel that there's a diminution of power in my life right at the moment and I need your help. And so I asked him, Search my heart, I wanna know. And I started thinking of certain things. I thought, Lord, even in the place of prayer, I found it to be somewhat dry right now. I have not found a relish to the place of prayer, but almost like I have to drag my feet. Lord, I have found at times that I feel so distracted, I can hardly focus on your word, and I wanna focus on it so badly, but I feel that I can't, I'm having trouble. Lord, I want, to, I want to ask your forgiveness because I feel like I've narrowed you into a box when there's something bigger that you want to do, and I don't want to do that. And Lord, I feel like at times I haven't been as patient, positively patient with my children as I feel I should be. It's easy to not be impatient in some respect, but that positive aspect of patience poured out is something that I, I, I'm thinking, Lord, I need, there needs to be more of that in my own heart and towards my own children. I want them to see Jesus. And so I kept going and writing, and soon enough, I filled a whole page. And I wasn't trying to be morbid about it, but I will tell you, I sensibly felt the help of God within about 20 or 30 minutes. I felt the help of God, I felt the nearness of God, and for a couple days afterwards, I felt an up, an undergirding of strength as if I had set my wings open and a gust of air had come from underneath and lifted me up. Why? Because I was saying, Lord, this is not normal and I don't wanna be here anymore. I don't wanna be here for too long. And so I said, Lord, help me to break this up because I need to receive from you again. I want you to pour into me and for it to grow 30, 60, 100 fold. I need help, Lord. And so I'll say just from practical experience, and I talked with another minister who I have great confidence in, he reminded me of this with Finney, because I called him. I said, I'm having an awful struggle right now, and I, I'm doing all I know how to do, and I just need help, what do I do? And he said that, and I said, you know, I've read that before. And he said, brother, I don't even know if this fits in our theology at all, but he said, I quite frankly don't care. <laughs> he said, because I have many times come to the Lord like this, and have been refreshed and renewed and ready. And so I would say the same to you. Break up this fallow ground. And it's so easy for us if we're not careful to let God's truth slip out of our mind. So let's just 
bring our mind and our heart before God, allow his eyes to peer right inside there and just say the things that are true. Don't let the devil push us farther into something and self-loathing and whipping yourself. Forget it. That doesn't do anything. Just the things that are true, Lord, that's what I want to deal with. And if we're not careful, careful and pliable in his hands, we, we can find that sometimes our ambitions in life gets shifted where it's not him in the front anymore. Now it's more my ambitions and Jesus kind of coming along with me. We've got to be careful with that. Sometimes if we're not careful, a little bit of flirting with the world and the way the world thinks and the way the world does things starts to get in and, and then we kind of go along almost imperceptibly in that regard. And I'm not talking about fragrant or flagrant and open sin. I'm just talking about where that subtle shift starts to take place. And sometimes we get tired and we just kind of fall underneath it a little bit. Carelessness can start to take place, prayerlessness. But remember, God was speaking this to this adulterous generation, not because he wanted to make them feel bad, though that needed to happen for them to be alarmed where they were. He was doing it because there was a remedy on the other end. He was trying to help them to say, listen, judgment's coming. I don't want it to come. I wish you would turn. And if you do turn, I won't remove you out of this land. Break up the fallow grounds of your heart. This is God pleading with these people. Please break up the fallow ground of your heart. I don't want to do this. And that's what these times of revival are for, for you and I. So that we don't get somewhere down the road like Judah, where we're in such disrepair that at that point, we're like, oh man, there's almost no semblance of reality in Christ anymore. And I don't believe any one of you are in that position at all. But I'm just saying that's where it can go. And these revival meetings are a safety for you and I. And that's why I believe the holiness movement has done this faithfully at least twice a year to have these kind of meetings because we need it. We need to sit there and say, Lord, I need help again. I need refocus. I need to just get everything cleared up. And I want to be in these meetings night after night and give your spirit a chance to speak to me and to push out all the cares of everything else and soak in the presence of God, in the word of God, and with God's people. And so God said, if you didn't put those away, it would be trouble to them in judgment. So same with us. If we don't break up the fallow ground, those seeds of the gospel that are going to come forth by Brother Buckler, they're going to launch out from God's word. They're going to hit our heart and bounce off to the side. But I want my heart, and I'm certain that you want your heart, to be a heart where when that seed of God launches out, you're just waiting and it gets in there. And then you water that seed with prayer and you continue to seek out even those things that he said. And maybe something hits you and you go back and you look in the scripture yourself and just kind of meditate over top of whatever it was that seemed to strike you and let that just kind of grow inside of your heart and give it the attention that it needs so that the spirit of God can then take that and allow something beautiful to grow out of that seed. If you don't break up your fallow ground, you'll only be left to sow among thorns. But God says, don't. So not among thorns, God says. So what does this mean? How can we cultivate a spiritual life in the ground of a hard and unkept heart? It's impossible. And you and I know that even from the analogy of gardening. It's really impossible to do much when it's all overrun with weeds and thorns and the ground is hard. It's impossible to get something going and to have a good yield. So don't try to cover our sins 
by trying to sow good seed over top of them, just throwing them on top of the weeds and on top of the thorns. Rip the thorns up, pull the weeds out, get the ground upturned, and then let's let the seed fall, right? I guess I'm just going to, I, I've got some notes here. I'm going to just leave this alone for a minute. I guess what I want to say, or, or what I'm thinking is this. I don't believe that any single one of us in this room want to have wasted seed come toward us. I don't believe any single one of us in here likes to look inside of our heart and think that there's thorns in there that are being left unattended. I think every one of us has that supreme desire that says, Lord, if there's something here, I want it out of the way. I want more of you. I want more of Christ, more about Jesus. Let me learn more of his holy will discern, right? More about his love for me in the cross, more about what that means to me in practical life, more about what that means to me in my trials and in my difficulties. Lord, I want to receive whatever comes. I even want to take the bitter things because to the hungry soul, bitter things are sweet. Lord, I want all of it. I want everything that you want to give to me because I want you. And there's no room for you if there's something in the way. If you're a welcome guest in my home, I want to make sure my home is clean, presentable. I want to make sure that you don't stop in on Monday morning and want to come spend time with me because it's not so nice on Monday morning. And it's not because we don't want to keep it nice, but with five kids and snack time after church and an exhausting day, Monday mornings don't look so hospitable. <laughs> But nevertheless, when the king of king comes, I want it to look hospitable. I want things to be cleared out of the way. I want the Lord to be able to step in any crevice of my heart and feel it whole. I want him to speak with me, to commune with me, to fellowship with me, to sup with me. I want to know the depth and length and breadth and height of the love of Christ for my own soul. And I can't know that when there's stuff in the way. I can't know it when there's thorns there. I can't know it when the heart is, or the heart is uh, dry and crusty and hard and fallow. Lord, I need your help. And so we just go to God and we say to him, Lord, what a terrible judgment that was on Judah and on Israel. How they turned your back on you. But I know, Lord, if I'm not careful, I'm made of the same flesh and blood those people were and I could go there. So I'm coming to you on purpose, Lord. I don't believe I've backslid or stepped out of the way, but oh Lord, I long that I receive spiritual meat and bread when these revival meetings are coming up. I long to be able to take something from the heavens down into my soul and then get that refreshing like our sister was speaking about. Lord, I don't want the devil to come here and ride on me and tell me you really messed up here and you really did. I'm not interested in that. I just wanna come beneath the presence of the Lord like a father hanging over the top of his child, even though the child's failed at times. And that, that father just loves on them, helps them, sorts things out. Do you know what's so wonderful about the Holy Ghost? When he speaks to us about something that's not right in our lives and we've sidestepped a little bit, even though sometimes when he speaks, it hurts and it stings because it cuts to the quick. It's amazing, but God's the only one that can do it. There's hope wrapped around the sting. When the devil comes to you, all there is is a continual pounding in despair and accusation after accusation after accusation. And it's as if when you try and stand up, you get kicked in the ribs again. You get a pound on the top of the head again. You get stomped on the back. You can't get up. There's no hope when the devil's the one behind that all. But when it's Christ himself, he says, my child, my son, my daughter, this is not quite right. 
and you say, oh, Lord, forgive me. And he said, my child, I know I do. I've got healing for you. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I want you to do. And there's such hope, there's such grace, there's such tenderness, such a fatherly heart that's expressed to us in the express image of the Father, which is Jesus Christ, when he speaks with us. So, as we're coming up to these revival meetings, thus saith the Lord, break up the fallow ground of your heart. Sow not among thorns. Do the work throughout this week, getting alone with God, praying, and letting God search you, and the best way to let God search you is to pray with an open Bible. Because it's said that the, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing asunder to the dividing of the joint. I've got it all messed up. Joints and marrow. <coughs> it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If we want to know anything about ourselves, it's the mirror. It, it pierces right down into the closest area of our inner being, and he reveals everything that's needed to us, and we can pray over that word, and by the time it comes, and it died, by the time that it comes, these revival meetings come, we're not gonna be trying to do this when the revival meetings start. We're going to already have done this so that the soil of our heart is so soft and ready that it'll just be showers of blessing that are poured down on us. You know, I'm convinced that there's some people that are in this church, and even people that are outside of the church that may be coming in, that if they just saw those showers come down, if they just saw the showers of blessing come down on your heart and on my heart and as a collective body, they would fall on their face and say, God is in you in and of a truth. <clears throat> it was just like that meeting that we had. You've been in camp meetings perhaps before where the presence of God comes, a holy hush drops on the whole place and people start running up to the front to deal with, with God about something. Who told them? The Spirit of God did. And it's a wonderful atmosphere to be in when the singing is so charged with the Spirit of Christ and it so exalts Christ up into the highest position that He deserves and all eyes are looking up and the person that's next to you is looking at you as you're worshiping Christ and they're thinking whatever that person's looking at and whatever that person has, I don't have. I remember that happened in Victory Grove. There was a group of us after the services started, we were praying up at the altar and we just had arms raised up because God had so swept in there and it was so wonderful and you didn't even want to leave the tabernacle. And we were just praising God and thanking him. And a man came by and he broke down in tears and he kneeled next to us and he said, I don't have whatever you've got. I know that something's real is happening here, but I don't have it. You know, if we could be in such a place where God could pour those showers of blessing onto us, it's going to help other people that are struggling in here. It's going to help the people that you and I invite or that we might talk with that see us come into this place. When they come in, there's a lady that I talk with. She said she was up in a window and I've gone back a couple times and she said, you're not Jehovah Witness, are you? I said, no, 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 I'm not Jehovah Witness. You're not some wacko thing, right? You're not going to start speaking all this gibberish, are you? I said, no, no, that's not going to happen. She, and she asked many other questions, and she said, well, it sounds like you might be a biblical church. I think I might come check you out. <laughs> but you know what? It'll depend on us having our lamps trimmed and the lights burning brightly. It's going to depend on us that we've got to bring God with us when we come here so that when those people do decide to come in, they come in and realize this isn't just a church. God's here. 
and God's in these people. And the only way God can have his way with us is if we let him. So Lord, help me to do the work to till this week so that I have a soft heart when he comes. And you know, if you find it hard tilling that ground, try fasting. And I'm not saying that to shame anybody at all. All I'm saying is it puts a desperation in there that wasn't there before. Try fasting and saying, Lord, I so long to see you in your glory. I so long to see the outpouring of your spirit dumped upon our services. I so long to be bathed in the atmosphere of the spirit of God. And Lord, we're asking you to do it. You said that if any keep your commandments, you would come and manifest yourself to us. Oh God, are we not keeping your commandments somewhere that we will hinder the manifestation of your spirit? And if we start praying like that, you'll start realizing there's a groaning inside your heart that's not your own. You'll start realizing that the groaning that comes up in your heart is his groaning. And then you'll start realizing the wonderful sense of fellowship with Christ himself as he's praying for his church, as we open ourselves up and allow that prayer to go through us. And we want it. And I want it. I want to see that freshness. I want my kids to see it. I don't want them to look at a church and say, you know, it's just something we did and we came. I want them to know God. I want them to see God. I want them to see God move in people's lives. I want to see people transform from darkness into light. I want to see people so done with themselves that they've laid themselves out on the altar of God. They've had the chaff of carnality burnt up. They're filled with the Holy Ghost and cleansed. And they're like Jesus, like an army marching forward of Jesus repeating through how every single one of our lives, I want to see that. I want my kids to see that. I want them to be so spoiled that when they go anywhere else and the world's got all their trinkets and all their little temptations, my kids are like, I've seen something far better. I've heard people talk like that. I heard Brother Rollin Mitchell, he talked like that. And he said, I've seen things when I was a little boy that I can never, ever get away from. I have seen God sweep in congregations over and over and over. James Rossman was telling me he went to a Bible missionary church when he was younger down south. Uh, Rick Yancey, I believe is the man's name. I think I've met one of his kids. But Rick Yancey, he said, they would start with a 10-day revival. And he said it would go on for four weeks because it just, the Spirit of God came and they just kept going, kept going until it was done, kept going until it was done. He said, every time I went to church, God came, every time. He said, you'd sit in your seat and everything seemed like it fine, all of a sudden God came. And that changed everything. Lord, we want to be in that center of your will that you can come, that you can manifest yourself to us. And you know what? You won't be sorry. It'll be wonderful. And your heart will be so fulfilled, you'll want to do it all the more. <laughs> and I believe God wants to do that in these meetings. He wants to help us 